since that meeting, all that's sort of gone on has brought me to a deeper love of Jesus Christ than I've ever had. And my friends and family spot that. They know there's something more authentic, more honing, and I'm really grateful for that. And the friendship I found in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is unparalleled. And that's not to demean my own Anglican community at all. Well, I'm still an Anglican partly because of the love that I've actually seen in ordinary people of the Church of England. But I must say that, well, actually, I owe them the debt of honour to actually share, to share what I found, the pearl of great price, pearl of greatest price. Because it's about longing. I long for the day when the Roman Catholic and the Orthodox and the Methodist and Anglican and Protestant churches come to appreciate the tenderness, the glory, the kindness of the Latter-day Revelation, of the restored community. This is Sarah Jane Weaver, Executive Editor of The Church News, welcoming you to The Church News Podcast. We are taking you on a journey of connection as we discuss news and events of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. During the summer of 2017, Elder Matthew S. Holland, a General Authority 70 who was then serving as president of Utah Valley University, took a sabbatical to Oxford University. Amid the charm and character of English architecture, in a place where the educational tradition dates back to the late 11th century, he noticed the word chaplain written on an office door. Behind the door was Reverend Dr. Andrew Teal, a chaplain who became his friend. This episode of the Church News Podcast features Elder Holland and Dr. Reverend Teal talking about their friendship, bridge building, and working together. The interview, the first in a two-part podcast, is held on the campus of Oxford University and is hosted by Sister Sherry Dew, a former member of the Release Society General Presidency and Executive Vice President and Chief Content Officer of Deseret Management Corporation. It is a surreal experience to be sitting here with the two of you. We've heard in part some of the story about how you first became acquainted. But, Elder Holland, I wonder if you would start by telling about the experience when you were here on sabbatical and what happened. And then, of course, Reverend Teal, we're going to want to hear your reaction and your reflection about what occurred. Sure. Well, I was taking a much-needed break from my university duties and thought I had sort of died and gone to heaven uh, to be uh, posted here at Oxford with uh, time to read and think and reflect and write. And uh, I hadn't been here very long. was making my way uh, one day to the dining hall and noticed a door, and it said chaplain. It was uh, labeled in some fashion that way. And I thought, well, here's a man of God, I presume, on this campus. I was very intrigued by that because I had been at a state university where you have to be very, very careful about the way you mix the religious life and the academic life. We tried to do some things at Utah Valley University. We'd started a reflection center, a place for prayer and meditation, which was, even that was a little testing of the boundaries in the state system. So I'd always been interested, and and it was so refreshing to see an official religious office on a university campus. So I took my chances, and knocked on the door, and uh, on the first knock, uh, he was there and, and uh, opened the door and, and uh, took in a stranger. He couldn't have been more gracious, and I simply introduced myself, explained 
who I was, and I really was just intending to make an acquaintance and say hello and say I'll be here for the summer, and he insisted that I sit down and took more interest in me than I was expecting, and I was quite taken with that, and uh, I think we ended up speaking at some length, even that first visit, 20 or 30 minutes, and then continued to run into each other. One of the beautiful things about the Oxford environment is that they foster a lot of uh, discussion between disciplines and perspectives, and it's built into the design of the place, how you eat, how you uh, associate. And so we just kept running into each other in various uh, situations, and um, I felt a sort of gravitational pull. He can speak for himself, but I certainly felt that, and that's, that's how it began. And this, the year was? Uh, 2017. 2017. Yeah. So, Reverend Dr. Teal, what's your reflection about that first experience? Somebody knocked on the door, and it was nice to see somebody, and so we had a bit of a chat, and there was an immediate rapport, it must be said. We were interested in each other. It, there was a sense of mutual respect and interest and wit, and I thought, oh, this is great. I've got to know somebody who's going to be around for the summer from when he's on sabbatical. And remember, at one point, you said you were a member of the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saint, and in the next breath, I think you said you'd like me to meet your dad, and I immediately and wrongly thought, oh, perhaps his father is a bit suspect about him being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saint, <laughs> so I can put his mind at ease, and, say, and that wasn't necessary uh, to say. But then I think we went, I don't know whether you were there, we went down to uh, a meeting in London, with the Yazidis community. I don't know whether you were part of it. I wasn't. And that's when I met your your parents first. Mm. And it it was lovely. And then afterwards, Mm. we thought about the possibility of doing something together here in Oxford. And we uh, invited the former Archbishop of Canterbury, the Metropolitan Archbishop of the Orthodox community, the senior lay Roman Catholic, Elder Holland, senior, and the, the former most senior scholar of the Methodist Church, and we had a a sort of meeting together called um, Inspiring Service, looking at trying to engage with students of all faiths, or all interested students, encouraging them to actually be open to their real purpose, a sense of vocation in its broadest sense. Where are you going to go which will actually bring the most good, have the most impact, unsentimentally, transform your world and also fulfill you and so that was how we looked at trying to inspire a sense of service because that one of the things of oxford is it's very um, difficult to get in and with that can come some sense of superiority and what we wanted to do was uh, to encourage people to find the grace of serving and i think that was a really important meeting as part of that, we had a, a meal afterwards, a banquet where you have the great and the good of the city and the political world and the university. But we also opened the doors to people who lived on our streets and made available the showers and got some clothes so that people wouldn't feel embarrassed. And I sat with them in the great hall. The wine was served, but obviously not to the Latter-day Saint community. And I felt it was really important to sit there and not to drink. It was almost as if that was my first real awareness of the power of the word of wisdom. Simply exercising your agency not to reach out and take for yourself what you can isn't, can be an act of grace if you're sitting with people for whom that would be a tremendous temptation. 
and afterwards, because I have promised to keep the word of wisdom, that is, it's not just about keeping promises, although that is the most important thing. If you make a promise, you keep it. It's the nearest thing to a covenant, and I'm grateful for that, this friendship, which has led me to an awareness that actually what we do in our worldly life has to be inviting other people to grace and to use their agency properly. So that was a, a big turning point for me, our friendship, and, and everything that followed on from that. Prior to the connection where you got acquainted and then that led to some of the things that you just described, Reverend, what was your association with or awareness of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? And when you start talking about the word wisdom, when did that come into play? At what point? Beforehand, my only connection really with the church was that a friend of mine when I was an undergraduate got baptized. And I went to his baptism in Birmingham. And he was a really nice man. And I, I remember thinking, gosh, these people are really gracious. They're really kind and welcoming. And there was no defensiveness at all. But after that, of course... You know, in a sense, life moves fast. And I didn't really have a connection with the church again until Matt knocked on the door. And that was the beginning of a beautiful friendship. After the um, inspiring service thing, I was invited over to Utah several times and then uh, was going to do my sabbatical over at uh, Brigham Young University, the first Sunday of which I burnt my feet. And so that was a big on one level, a ridiculous thing, but on the other level, I think it probably achieved more than me sitting in a library trying to write a book about, you know, what I thought I wanted to write about. And before I went over to BYU, you have to sign an honor code. And I thought, well, I will sign this and make this promise in the presence of my ward in Oxford. I say my ward. <laughs> Clearly, it's not my ward, but I go to, I, I, I look after a convent and I, I, I do a a song mass for them first thing on a Sunday morning. And then there's even song in here at the evening for first chaplain here. But in the middle, I go to the first ward, the Oxford ward of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Started to do that after inspiring service. And I've been doing it for years now, most Sundays. So I thought, it's the nearest thing to a covenant with the church that I can make. Because clearly, as an Anglican priest in holy orders, I can't be rebaptized, and I don't think until until I can do no other. I think I've got got to sort of tread this path, but I can make a public covenant and a public promise, uh, which was the BYU honor code. But but looking at that, I thought, well, this is based on the word of wisdom, plus all the sartorial elegance of shaving, and so I, I made that promise then and have kept it since because I just think it's really important. If you make a promise, you keep that promise. And if that's the nearest thing to a covenant with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, my friends, which I love, I can read and do read the Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, uh, a pearl of great price daily. But this is a more important public thing, so I don't want to break that. That's now, in a funny sort of way, I was never, it was never my besetting sin, as we say in the, in the Western Church, <laughs> Alcohol was, didn't really have a hold on me. I didn't smoke. But it strikes me as really important to recognize that, yes, I will not drink of the wine until the kingdom. I will not drink alcohol again until the kingdom comes. Because I think it's really important to sort of have that constant fasting 
really, as a non-member of the church, because it's about longing. I long for the day when the Roman Catholic and the Orthodox and the Methodist and Anglican and Protestant churches come to appreciate the tenderness, the glory, the kindness of the latter-day revelation, of the restored community. And Sunday by Sunday, seeing how there is this wonderful axis, really, between authority of the apostles and the prophet and scripture and the rules of the church, and there's this wonderful horizontal axis too, where people have personal revelation and come and share things with great emotion. And that's a really inspiring place to be. And this last Sunday we were blessed to have Elder Gong with us at Oxford. He just called in, which was quite caused a great deal of excitement, mm-hmm. as you might imagine. And it was just in that test and faster, fast and testimony <laughs> meeting. Here it was a sort of, to understand as an outsider what the theology of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is, it just struck me, of course, it's a theological sociology. It's about the society, the nature of the redeemed, the restored church, where you have both a tremendous respect and embrace of people. It Mm -hmm. moves me to tears when, uh, when we have some people who come and speak, and they perhaps have got very little in the way of the world, they perhaps have got mental or physical handicap. They spend the week being told what to do by other people. And at fast and testimony meeting, they can speak and find themselves listened to by the people of God. I find that so... It breaks my heart because of its beauty. And you see, these are the people who will reach out and be patient and be understanding. And I want the rest of the churches to see and to know that. That's a beautiful reflection. Over Holland. Now, you have many friends of other faiths. Yes. And Reverend Healy, you do as well. What do you think it was that sparked this friendship in a perhaps a unique way? And then part two of the question, if I may, because it may bleed together. Have you learned or are you learning things from this friendship that feel distinctive and feel unique? Sure. Let me uh, start by using something of a a more earthly angle to your question. You've heard Reverend Teal, the pastor, the theologian here, but he mentioned something about the wit and the humor that that we enjoy. One of our favorite family stories now is uh, he makes reference to when he came to uh, Provo and had this very unfortunate accident with his feet that got burned and turned out to be very serious. Actually ended up uh, cutting short his stay uh, so that he could get full and proper care for it. And there was a moment there where this was a, a very serious situation. Not long after that, he was invited to my sister's home. There, this was now a growing family relationship. We have my father, my sister, my, me, uh, for a Sunday dinner. And the choice of uh, meat that night uh, that my, uh, my brother-in-law is famous for preparing is our burnt ends. And that's what was served. And, of course, it was Andrew who quickly pointed out, as he pointed to his feet, about was I the inspiration for the choice of uh, food that night as he pointed to his own burnt ends, and it, uh, we still laugh. That's just the kind of the, the self-deprecation, the wit, the humor that uh, I think has, has bonded us. But, of course, it's, it's something much more than that. Uh, the scriptures speak of a familiar spirit. I felt a familiar spirit from the moment I sat down in that chair and looked across at Andrew and we started to talk. 
And when I say he took an interest in me more than I was expecting, he was, as he is with everybody, and he truly is with the, from the royals of the earth uh, to, the, to the servants of the world, uh, he takes a personal and direct interest in people. But it wasn't just that he took an interest in me personally. He was genuinely curious about theology, even just the brief moment that we somehow we got talking about the Book of Mormon. I think on our very first conversation, he was uh, there was something theologically that linked us. There was something uh, in terms of our just uh, personal friendship that linked us, and it felt like something that was not new. Absolutely. And it's just built from there, and as I said, spread to uh, friends of friends and uh, and grown uh, every day. One of the things that has been wonderful to share with my family, who's here with us today, actually, that my children love Andrew. Uh, they came home from that first dinner saying, Dad, we'd like to spend more time with him. And uh, for my children, uh, for myself even, to see such faith, such devotion, uh, such individual agency and great use of that agency in and across another tradition. He's just such an example par excellence of that. It's, it's opened up my world even more so to the need to have friendships across all traditions and all faiths, especially at the time of the world that we live in today. I think there's a need for people of faith, people who still, uh, as we see the kind of embers of a, of a Christian civilization uh, really fading away, it's more important than ever to unite with people of genuine and deep theistic faith and come together to talk and to unite, to worship, to disagree when we disagree, but to do so with love and understanding. And I felt an immediate rapport and a commitment to do that kind of thing in Andrew. It made me think when we met, and then certainly when I met you, your dad and your mom, and there was a moment outside when they came to speak at the university church here in the university. And I can remember the moment palpably. This is not like meeting somebody for the first time. It's like a wonderful meeting again. Now, that sounds spooky or ridiculous, and I make no claim about you know, personal revelation or anything else, but I just knew that, in a sense, just as the Lord, before he formed us in the womb, he knew us, before we were formed in the womb, we knew, we knew each other. I think that's what gives friendship that real sense of spark and unpredictability, because in a sense it's, we are rooted in our Heavenly Father's eternal love, and we have agreed, and sometimes we wish, did I really agree to this, but come into this mortal world to bring his love and his power back to people who, who have smeared it or lost it or have, through pain or through what life has done to them, lost it. And I find that there was a moment, there's another person of blessed memory, Anne Madsen. We met each other and we used to ring each other once a week. There was that similar sense in which this isn't a new friendship. This is picking up something mystical and eternal. So who am I? It makes you ask questions about our own identity and answered perhaps most simply but most profoundly in songs like, I'm a child of God. Simple. We don't need to have to know the temperature of hell or the furniture of heaven. <laughs> we do need to know that. And I yeah. think that's one of the things that I've, I've loved about our friendships 
and also about seeing we have missionaries here in Oxford and they come in here, they were here this week playing the piano. Um, that mission that they've got, that they can find on their England-London mission the energy and the identity of who they are. And it's it, Dave Checkets and Deborah Checkets uh, when they were here as president of that mission. I've been to two, I think, two reunions in Utah where it, you can see how that experience of discovering friendship with people in a different place, sometimes in a different language. Your son's going to go to New Zealand. Your daughter went to Australia. I know that's, it's not quite a different language, but it's not quite <laughs> English either, is it? Um, but there's that sense in which you find that there is something deep and, and absolutely of infinite worth in another person. And I think that's what friendship is like, this moment of blossoming mm. that shows that actually it's not just you, it's not just your parents or your children or, or our friends, but the whole world. We are yeah. all really deeply united. And I think that's helped me to understand why the church spends such a great deal of money and energy doing ancestry research. That's right. Um, that's right. Uh, it's already been remarked, but I, I will add there was... It was more than just a passing comment when I, I said, you need to meet my father. There was something about that initial conversation where I just sensed something needed to happen here. That Andrew Teal, the great Oxford uh, Don and theologian, needed to meet Elder Jeffrey R. Holland and that there would be purpose. I knew they would enjoy each other. I knew they would like each other, but I felt there was some greater purpose in that. And as it was, that was the next great development, I think, in the relationship, because very shortly after this, I came home and I went on a mission to North Carolina. I wasn't in a position to correspond and keep up a very regular uh, level of activity being so busy with a mission. But that's when Andrew and my father really connected and did some very important things here and then over there. And it felt like, uh, again, there was an important and specific purpose for that to happen. That was a feeling that came to me in that very first conversation. And Reverend Teal, did building on that, what was your experience when we met Elder Jeffrey Northland? I think, as I said, it was almost as if this was, this was meeting somebody I'd known all my being. It was a reunion. It was a reunion, yeah. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely yeah. fair to say. And, and, and crazy from a humanist perspective <laughs> to say. You know, never met him before in your life, and, uh, but... But there is a real sense in which actually the respect with which I hold him and his family and the love, it, it's not just respect as a sort of distant thing. This is no trifling matter, but has come to be what I believe to be my very life, that my purpose while I'm here is to try to do by all means to bring together, to reconcile the people of God. And, and, and this has fed it. This has been like the banquet of life, which has given me that purpose. And I will keep on searching for how to do that, however it works out. And I won't give up on that, just as I can't give up on the promises I made that day in, in Ward. So, yes, that friendship is not simply something nice and occasional, but it, it reaches deep down into the very depths of who we are so that we know that it is our purpose, our duty and our joy at all times, in all places, to build this relationship of love and trust and understanding and adventure between denominations and faith traditions that have historically been at each other's 
cutthroat and antagonistic. It's really good that we went to see um, the convent uh, where I was, and it's, it's nice to know that, that, in fact, what I've been talking to the sisters is really sunk in. The Reverend Mother was talking about how the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has been a persecuted community and how that gives to the Church a commitment to and a heart for persecuted communities today. I'm not just talking about people like the Yazidis community or whomever, but actually people of faith. I'm not saying people of faith are a persecuted community now, but, but there is a sense in which people of faith are perhaps tolerated rather than understood. And I think it's really important to try to do all that I can to actually help people to see that the, the ridicule, the caricature, the writing off of people of whatever faith is just not on our agenda. Uh, it's an evil. And actually it is a, a thing which distorts the goodness that we can see in other people. So it, it, it's, it's all connected. And I'm really glad that uh, the Reverend Mother has picked that up, that, that actually this is about us being agents of reconciliation. She talked about that today, didn't yes, she? She's married in every way. I would just uh, say even what we're doing right here is in some ways a, an act of friendship. I didn't show up today because I heard there was some interview. I was coming... For lunch. To, you yeah, came for lunch. I came for yeah. lunch. I came for lunch. Uh, I just was going to be in England uh, with my family on vacation. The one thing my children wanted to do was to come back to Oxford and see it and some old friends. And so we rang Andrew. And, and at the same time, another friend, Dave Chekets, uh, was reaching out to me to say uh, that he was going to be in Oxford and seeing Andrew. And so we just all united. Uh, this just happened to come along as we were here. Uh, and so... Uh, I think this is, in many ways, a testimony. Not uh, you don't necessarily look for the, the grand, grand things have seemed to come from this, but it didn't start with a grand vision. It just started with people who want to be kind to each other and learn from one another and, and understand each other. And understand each other. Break down barriers and reach across the aisle and uh, do things that are getting harder and harder to do in the world today. But therefore, we need them more and more. And so. I just see today as a celebration of doing that. Beautiful. Thank you. We're in your, both of your debt. It's a wonderful coincidence. Yeah. It's a wonderful coincidence, and it's just, think about all the good that could be done by just the simple, let's just understand each other, let's talk with each other, and build each other as people of God. It's a beautiful thing. There's so much power in it. I feel like what you've been describing is power. Since that meeting, all that's sort of gone on has brought me to a deeper love of Jesus Christ than I've ever had. And my friends and family spot that. They know there's something more authentic, more honing, yet to be revealed. That's, that's, and, and I'm really grateful for that because the friendship I found in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is, is unparalleled. And that's not to demean my own Anglican community at all. Well, I'm still an Anglican, partly because of the love and, that I've actually seen in ordinary people of the Church of England. But I must say that, well, actually, I owe them the debt of honour to actually share, to share what I found, the pearl of great price, the pearl of greatest price. And it goes both ways, I'll just add, which is that even as you say that, Andrew, I can't go a week 
without someone who talks of reading something you've written, seeing an interview that you've done where you've talked about your faith, and without insisting that you join our community or communion, that they are lifted in their faith of Jesus Christ. They're lifted in their Christ-like commitments because of what you've said and you've offered to us as you've come forward in this relationship. So it's very much a a symbiotic relationship leading, I think, all of us to higher ground than we were on before. Please join us next time as we continue a Church News Podcast conversation with Rev. Dr. Andrew Teal. In Episode 2 of the Church News Podcast, Rev. Teal will be joined by David and Deborah Chekets, who got to know him while serving as mission leaders of the England-London Mission from 2018 to 2021. You have been listening to the Church News Podcast. I'm your host, Church News Executive Editor Sarah Jane Weaver. I hope you have learned something today about The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints by peering with me through the Church News window. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast so it can be accessible to more people. And if you enjoyed the messages we shared today, please make sure you share the podcast with others. Thanks to our guests, my producer Kellyanne Halverson, and others who make this podcast possible. Join us every week for a new episode. Find us on your favorite podcasting channels or with other news and updates on the church on thechurchnews.com.